Welcome to the Expat Cast. I'm your host, Nicole, and I'm recording the intro outside again. Sorry, it's just really good weather. I don't want to sit inside. <laughs> Hopefully, whatever background noises come through the recording are pleasant instead of annoying. <laughs> I have a pretty exciting announcement to make. I don't know if any of you guys have heard of International Podcast Day. It's an annual event that started in the U.S. as National Podcast Day, but has since evolved and is now international. What's really cool about it is it is for everyone that has anything to do with podcasts. So podcast hosts, producers, and listeners all can find something that they enjoy on this day. The events are pretty wide-ranging, and they're all over the world, as well as online. So I would highly recommend that you go on their website and check out if there's anything coming up in your town, and if not, then maybe there's some online events that you want to tune into on that day. I am pretty excited to announce that I'm participating in International Podcast Day this year. I'm actually hosting an event here in Freiburg. We're going to kick it off with a quick little introduction to what podcasting is, how it's evolved, then have a panel discussion with another local Freiburg podcasting group, followed by a live recording of the ExpatCast, and then some Q&A. So it's going to be really really neat. I can't wait to bring this podcast to a live audience. This is a thing that I make alone in my basement with people from the internet. (laughs) And now it's going to be a thing that I make in person. So International Podcasting Day is September 30th this year. That's a Monday. My event is at the Carl Schutz House in Freiburg at 1830, aka 6.30 p.m. (laughs) If anyone who is listening is in the area, please come by and check out the event. I will post a link to the event in the show notes of this episode. And speaking of today's episode, I'm pretty excited about this one, first off on a personal level, because Lauren, my guest, comes from New Jersey, not too far from where I grew up, and certain manners of her speech, certain parts of her accent just reminded me so much of home, and so just on a personal level alone, it was so much fun to talk to her, plus the interview was fantastic. Lauren lives in Spain with her husband and three kids, and they chose an international school for their kids. We get into all matters of what that means, what that looks like, and who, what, why, and how (laughs) in today's episode. So without further ado, enjoy! My name is Lauren Smith. Um, I'm originally from New Jersey, a place called the Jersey Shore. Um, More specifically, the town is Howell, but people refer to it as the Jersey Shore. Um, Not like the TV show. It's a much more (laughs) beautiful place with gorgeous beaches and just wonderful little seashore towns. My husband and I, along with our three children, are currently living and have been for the last two years in Barcelona, Spain. Wonderful. And is this your first experience living abroad? Yes, it is. My husband has worked in um, the industry of global mobility for several years. And so he had a lot of exposure to this whole idea of families moving to other countries. So he was very interested at a much earlier stage in our marriage than I was. <laughs> but we finally decided to take the plunge to do it, you know, sort of a um, it's now or never type mentality. And we're so glad that we did. Which came first? Did they offer this position and then you decided to take it? Or did you decide that you were ready and then have to seek out the right job? 
funny you should ask, you know, it was a little bit of both. I think we had gotten to a point in our life where we were ready for a change. We were ready for something different. We knew that we were done having children and planning our family. (laughs) (laughs) So we sort of felt like if we were going to do it, do it when the kids are young instead of doing it in 10 years when they're older and it's much harder for them being in their teenage years and what have you. So we had sort of started to investigate opportunities within his current company and, you know, would it be realistic for us to move abroad? And it was easier than we thought it was going to be to identify a couple different options for us. So it kind of was happening in tandem, you know, us making the decision as well as giving some options for us through my husband's job to be able to actually make it a reality. Oh, I love when it happens like that. And then it just feels like the whole universe is just beckoning you forward on this path that you've chosen. It's so lovely. (laughs) Absolutely. You know, and it's so reassuring because the entire process, you're excited, but you have these doubts and you have this noise in your head that's kind of questioning, like, am I crazy? Am I doing the right thing? Am I making the best decision for my children's future, for our lives? But then when everything aligns, it's sort of just this reassurance that, yes, this is where we're meant to be. This is like the logical next step. And we just need to do it. It doesn't mean it's going to be perfect. There will be some um, hiccups along the way. But as long as we know that and go into it, understanding that, then it's going to be an incredible experience. And of course, it, it has. How old were your kids when you made the move? My son was five. My daughter was three and my second daughter, who's our third child, was nine months old. And how did you tell them at those ages in a way that would make sense to them? Yeah, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. I'm not sure which was harder, telling our children or telling our families. (laughs) (laughs) We both come from traditional, close Italian families, you know, both of our parents are still married. They come from the Jersey Shore. Like, we come from amazing families. We're very blessed. And we're all very close, our siblings and everything. So that was not easy telling them. But, but of course, telling our kids was also a bit of a challenge. And luckily, the baby, her name is London, and she was not old enough to understand. So that was kind of an easy one, right? Yep. <laughs> um, Start there. Uh, Start with her. <laughs> absolutely. And my daughter, Autumn, who is now five years old, but she was three at the time. She's a very free-spirited kind of child. And she was just happy as long as our family was going to be together. Oh. You know, she was kind of like up for the adventure, didn't really quite understand, but she knew if we were going to be together, then everything was going to be okay. My son, who was five at the time, he's more of a thinker. He's more of, you know, kind of an analytical. He's in his head a lot, tons of questions. So he was the one I was the most nervous about. And, you know, I'll be honest, it wasn't the easiest conversation. He loved our life back at home and was very happy in his home, having his friends and cousins close by and everything. But I think the way we approached it was just that, We love taking adventures as a family, and now this is like one of the biggest and greatest adventures we can ever take, and we're going to do it all together. We're all a little bit afraid. It's unknown to everybody what we're going to experience, but we're going to help each other along the way. And then he came around within a couple days. He was kind of like, I'm into it, mommy. I'm excited. You know, we would start to look at pictures and things on the internet, and that helped to crystallize the, the experience for him. Such a good idea with like showing the pictures online. Like that's something that makes more sense to a kid and can help them really conceptualize it in a way that's not so scary. And at the same time, 
is showing, you know, what's going to be ahead. Absolutely. And we had done a lot of research already on schools. And although we hadn't made our selection yet, you know, my husband and I were pretty sure we were going to go in the direction that we did. And so we sort of planted the seed with the children and like showed them the picture of the school and they started to get excited. And we focused on the stuff that we knew they would get excited about. You know, we found a local theme park that was like within an hour outside of Barcelona. And so we showed them pictures of this theme park and said, oh, we can go here for a weekend. And like they went into it thinking like, this is going to be great. This is going to be fun. Tons of new experiences, you know, we tried not to harp too much on the different language because, of course, we're a child. That's scary. What do you mean they don't speak my language? It's the only language I know. So we tried to just let that process happen gradually at first. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think it, it, there's a lot of ways that that conversation could have gone, the different roads it could have gone down. But looking back, like, I think we just tried to approach it in as positive a way as possible and not, like, overshare. You know what I mean? Sometimes as parents, we want to, like, give an answer to every question the kids have. And we just tried to, like, reassure him, be positive and be encouraging about us all going through it together. So, yeah, yeah, it was it was it was good looking back. And how did you make this decision about school? Because those ages that they were back then is right in, in America. That's the, the oldest is just going into official school and not like pre-K or kindergarten. So that's a pretty critical time. How did you approach deciding how to deal with the whole school question? So given the fact that this was our first assignment overseas, like we had never been expats before, I just automatically assumed our kids are going to go to international school. It didn't even really occur to me that public school in Spain would be an option. Um, And looking back, we absolutely made the right decision. We could have sent them to public school, but I think it really boils down to what everyone's personal decision is when they go, you know, when they're moving to a country where their native language is not spoken. So what I mean by that is if you're going someplace short term versus going someplace long term, that should weigh in with your decision of schooling. So if we were coming to Barcelona and moving here long term, then we would want the kids to learn the local language as quickly as possible. So we probably would have considered putting them in a local school. But because we're on a short term assignment, the language is important, but it's not the number one priority. For us, the number one priority was that they would thrive academically, that they would thrive socially, and that this experience would build them up, not sort of like suppress them and make them feel like introverts because they're outsiders. And so in international school, we felt like that was the kind of community where they wouldn't be an outsider. They would be one of the normal student body of all children from all over the world, different parts of the globe in the similar situation that we were in. We knew that these were the types of families that our children would be able to meet with and make friends with these children in school. So right away, we just kind of went the international schooling route. We really never even considered public school, like I said. And we had a list of about four or five different international schools. There's actually a lot here in Spain. I mean, you have the Italian school, you have a Chinese school, you have um, a couple different French schools because you're so close to France. And there's an American school, interestingly enough. And, you know, I think a lot of American expats, just their natural progression is to say, well, sure, we're from America because you're going to go to the American school. But we talked ourselves out of that. Number one, it was far outside the city. But even outside of that, we felt like if they went to the American school, they would meet majority American expat children. And we kind of said to ourselves, does that defeat the purpose? 
We're bringing the kids all the way to this other country across the globe to meet children from other parts of the world. And so we felt like going through the British school system, which is where they go, they go to an international British school. Um, we felt like, okay, it's a school that is based in Europe. And so it's attracting families and students from all throughout Europe, if not other parts of the globe. And that's exactly what we found at this school. So it helped to really solidify our decision that an international school is really the right way to go. And when you say there's the Italian school and the French school, does that mean that the primary teaching language is that language and that the educational system is set up in line with how those countries approach education? Exactly. Yep, exactly. Even down to holidays. So like there are times where the children, yeah, the children from the French school won't have school, not because it's a holiday in Spain, but because it's a holiday in France. So it's, it's interesting. Yeah. So they follow the French curriculum. They follow the French, you know, bank holiday schedule and all the teaching is in French with the exception of Spanish lessons that they most likely will get, Catalan lessons, and Catalan is the local language here in Barcelona, because Barcelona is part of the larger region of Catalonia, so the, the language is actually not Spanish, it's Catalan, so the, the government of Barcelona recommends, or actually in some cases they actually command that the schools teach Catalan at a starting at a certain age, so Catalan would be a language that would be taught, and then English as well, because English is so widely spoken that so many of the international schools, if they don't already teach in English, they'll incorporate English teaching. So the British school where Anthony, my son, and Autumn go, um, obviously the curriculum is all in English, and then the children get one hour every day of the week of Spanish and Catalan. Wow, both. And yeah, my both of my children will get, will get both. It starts at what they consider year two um, by the British curriculum. But very similarly, the British school follows the British curriculum, um, which I found very similar to the American um, curriculum, which is, again, helped to sort of say, okay, when our kids eventually go back to the United States, there's a lot of similarities, enough so that it's not going to create challenges for them getting acclimated back into the U.S. system. And, and yeah, we follow, you know, the British holidays and everything like that. So it's kind of interesting. It's funny. Uh, but all the teachers are from the UK, which huh. is cool. They all come, they teach here, they're young. So, you know, they're expats as well. They've left their families and they're coming here living temporarily to teach at this school in Spain. And then after several years, you know, they find their way um, back to the UK. But that's cool from a relatability standpoint for the kids. Because the kids say, hey, I'm going through this, you know my teacher can relate. She's homesick too, or she's left her family also. Yeah, that's beautiful. I can just imagine like different lesson plans built around these things that they can anticipate the kids might be feeling. And I can see how that would be really so wonderful and comforting and sort of this additional aspect of, you know, like emotional learning as well. As parents, I imagine it helps you in that you can relate to the teachers yourselves. Absolutely. Yeah. And this is that's just a a component that we were never going to find in the public school because, you know, the the majority of the student body comes from the local city. You know, they grew up in Spain. They're from Barcelona their whole life. They speak the local language. And and I just I felt like my children would end up being um, the outsiders and really struggle academically, socially. I felt like I would even struggle as a parent to communicate with the teachers, to make friends with other parents. I mean, you know, the Spanish culture here is beautiful and they're very warm people, but you do 
need to kind of win them over in a way. Like they're not immediately welcoming. Like you do have to sort of like work hard to build up that relationship. And so I just knew that it would create a ton of additional barriers for us. I just wanted us to get adjusted and acclimated in our new home city as quickly as possible. And so I knew being at a British school, an English speaking native school was was the best way to do it. And yeah, to your point, the teachers and the staff, the headmaster, or kind of like what we would call the principal in America, they're, they're wonderful. They're amazing. They can totally relate to the kids on that kind of a level and be able to just reassure them that their emotions are normal and the things they're going through in this huge transitional part of their life is okay. And that, you know, if the kids need someone to talk to or if they're having a hard time, they're never alone, which, you know, when you're an expat kid, it's easy to feel alone a lot because you're, you know, there's a lot of unknowns. So it's just been a great community. It's been like a real blessing here in our experience moving abroad. Who else attends the school? So you guys do as Americans. Are there a lot of other non-British, non-Spanish students? Um, that's a great question. Yeah, you have students from really all over the world. I mean, there's. I'm just thinking of my son's class alone. He has a lot of diversity in his class. So you do have some local Spanish children whose families send them to this school to learn English. They want them to learn the English language. They understand the importance of it. They understand how widespread it is across the globe and the opportunities it will give their children later in life. So, you know, kind of kudos to them, right? They they are giving their kids this added advantage by sending them to the, the British school. But then you do have a handful of families from the UK as well. Interestingly enough, there's not many American families. There may be one or two others beyond our family. Because again, I think what I talked about earlier, a lot of the American expat families just just assume their kids are going to go to the American school. And for us, we sort of, you know, went outside the box a little bit with that. But, you know, you also have kids from Russia, Poland, Iceland, China, Sweden, Denmark, Japan, Turkey. Oh, my gosh. You know, Germany. I mean, I could go on and on. But yeah, there's it's so incredible. It's really incredible. And the school does something so fantastic at the end of the year around May, like springtime. They hold an international food festival, which is so cool because it invites every family to prepare a special dish, kind of a signature dish from their country and bring it to this festival. And they have big tables set up under a really big, beautiful tent. They play music. And it is just like the coolest feeling. Every year I get goosebumps at this event. Everyone's walking around and they're eating and they're asking what's in that and what's in this and what is this dish called and what are the ingredients? You know, everyone's trying to learn about each other's cultures and about what these special dishes are. And it gives me goosebumps every year because I think this is what moving abroad with children is all about. This right here, this culmination of people from all over the globe that we otherwise would have never had the chance to meet if it wasn't for our decision to come here. And it's just like the coolest experience. So yeah, we look forward to that event every year. So, okay, two questions related to that. So first question, are the other parents who are sending their kids there, the parents who are from non-English speaking countries, are they also able to speak English? In some cases, yes. In some cases, no. Not always. Second question, what do you make for this big event? (laughs) 
Oh my gosh. So being, you know, American and we're a football family and by football, I mean, American football. Um, usually I feel like I have to specify that because depending on who you're talking to and where in the world they come from, it could either mean soccer or it yeah. could mean American football, but well, um, and now I'm American sitting here wondering, family. um, so I'm from Philadelphia and so there's, you know, the two parts of Jersey, there's the Northern that are going to be the New York football <laughs> fans or the Southern Jersey who are, who are my, my fellow. Hello, Philadelphia Eagle fans. Where does your town fall? <laughs> uh oh. Uh oh. Okay. okay. We okay. are. I don't even know if I should say this. We are New York Giants fans. <laughs> well, it's your problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe I should have my husband come in here and you can really start talking some smack about your players. But I, all I do is cook the food for halftime. That's my contribution. But. I actually wouldn't be able to argue back. I don't. I don't really know enough. But I come from a very passionate. Eagles family, but but it's okay. Okay, so <laughs> so do you make wings? Is that where that this is going? Well, the funny thing is, you know, being in Spain, you can't always find your typical American ingredients in the grocery stores like you would back at home. So, you know, I tried to go to the grocery store and really think of like, what are some authentic, very quintessential, like Sunday football, Super Bowl type food. So I make pigs in a blanket every year, which for anyone that's listening that doesn't know what that is, it's basically mini hot dogs that are rolled in a dough, a pizza dough, a puff pastry dough, a phyllo dough, whatever. You can have fun with it. And they're usually cooked and dipped after they're cooked, of course, into like a yellow mustard. And they're delicious. And the funny thing is, they are such a hit at this international food festival. (laughs) The kids, some of the kids know what they are. And then other kids are like, what in the world is this thing? This is like weird. (laughs) But yeah, so I try to make something really simple. But the things that these different families bring in from whether it's China, Japan, oh my gosh, Singapore. I have a really good friend who's from Denmark and she made this amazing cake. And apparently it's a cake that is served at every birthday party, but it's a little figurine. It's a, it's basically like a little girl. The, sh- the cake is in the shape of a girl wow. and it's made with, I don't know, three or four ingredients. It's the simplest recipe, but it was so delicious. I swear my family ate half the cake. I mean, we just kept going back for more. It just was, it's really, really just cool. Cool to learn about, cool to experience the cuisines from other parts of the world and just, just really a fun event. So Anyway, not to get off track, but that's one of those things that you just, it, it, when you choose an international school, it's one of those serendipities that you don't quite see coming. Um, and then when you experience it, you're like, wow, I love this. I'm just blown away hearing from all the different layers of this. And I'm wondering, how much did you know about international schools before you started looking into it for your own personal family's life? Because I feel like looking at my life in the States, I don't think I was really aware that these places even existed until much later in life. Before we became, you know, official expats, I knew nothing about international schools because I lived in suburbia. We're an hour and a half outside of New York City. So you don't have international schools in Monmouth County, New Jersey, but you do have them in Manhattan. But Having gone to Manhattan hundreds of times in my life, I never knew that until now, having moved to a, a huge European city and realizing, yeah, people from all over the world are moving to other cities all the time. And so these international schools are there to accommodate these families, you know, um, that want to send their kids for a private education 
but not be in the public school system and maybe be taught, you know, the local language. So I knew nothing about international schools. And and then in doing the research that I needed to do and in joining a lot of different Facebook groups prior to us moving here and just trying to connect with other parents and read about the various schools and start to really narrow my options. I always thought an international school was just where you go if you're an expat. But I never realized that there were different international schools based on the country that you come from or the language that you want to learn. You know, there's there's different layers of them, really. So I would have never thought my kids would be going to a British international school. I didn't know such a thing existed. So it's really eye-opening. You know, you don't know what you don't know until you have to know it. Once you get to the point where you're making your own decisions for your own family, then that's where the education really begins. You mentioned that this is a private school. And I know you said you can't say a ton about the cost or whatever, but can you talk a little bit about to what extent that was a part of the decision? Because it, so I do actually know one kid who goes to an international school in the US and it's so expensive there to attend that he's only been able to go for a couple of years and is going to have to transition back to public school now just on sheer costs. But I'm curious, do you know if that goes down depending on different countries? Is it affordable for a lot of people or is it still pretty pricey? It's expensive. Okay. Yeah, no, it's definitely expensive. And as an expat, you know, you have certain benefits. And although I can't get into all the specifics of our personal package and, you know, what my husband's company has been able to offer to us, I will say that it's been a blessing as an expat to get a nice package and to be taken care of where we had the option to choose an international school for our children. But there are some families out there who become expats, they move to another country, and you know, schooling is not a part of their relocation. And so they have no choice but to put their kids in the public school. And there's families that do it all the time, and their kids are completely fine. Their kids are happy. They thrive. You know, For us, I think I was just sensitive to the fact that the kids were so young. They had only been in preschool a couple of years, and I just really wanted them to thrive academically and socially. The language part of it came came like second to me. I knew they were going to pick up the language, maybe not at a fluent level, but I knew in two, three years, they were going to pick up a lot of phrases. They were going to understand a lot of words, be able to communicate with other kids on the playground. And so for us, the international school route was absolutely just the way that we wanted to go because we had the option. We really had the choice. But otherwise, if we didn't have the choice, then we, we would have sent the kids to public school. And interestingly enough, our the baby, who's, I call her a baby, but she's going to be three. Oh. So she's not a baby anymore. But <laughs> London, who I spoke about earlier, you know, she's going to be attending school for the first time in September. But we decided to send her to what's called in Spain a concertada, which is basically a semi-private school. So it's not a public school, but it's not a private school. It sort of falls right in the middle. So there is a tuition, but there's also government funding the way a public school would get. So you kind of get it from both angles. And the tuition is obviously a lot less because you have it offset with the government funding that the school receives. And because we've been here two years, I am excited about it. Where if this was like day one of us in Barcelona and I knew the baby was going to be going to, you know, a Catalan school in September, I would have been a lot more nervous than I am today. Why? Because I've had two years to figure out the language. Even though I don't speak great Catalan, I speak much better Spanish. The Catalan schools, everybody pretty much in in Barcelona that speaks Catalan also speaks Spanish. The languages are are quite similar in a lot of ways. So 
I feel I can get by with my Spanish and communicating with teachers and parents and administration. And it's going to be like a new adventure for us, really. And the reason why we decided to send London to the semi-private school here is because we felt like this is her first year of schooling. She's at the right age to start picking up a language. And, you know, she has nothing to compare it to where our other two children did. They had gone to school in the, in the United States already. They went, you know, they had English speaking teachers and all the students in their class were English speaking. So that was what we were sort of up against. You know, the odds were against us, I guess, if you want to put it that way, where our, our third daughter, she hasn't been to school yet. So we kind of feel like, what's the worst that can happen? You know, she's, she's, we're here short term, we're going to try it for a year, see how she does. She could have a huge success. She could absolutely love it. She'll teach us a lot of Catalan, probably. (laughs) And uh, that's just the risk that at this point, we're we're excited about taking, you know? Yeah, I think that's going to be so neat to see how everyone involved feels, how it compares now that you do have another experience to compare it to. And I also want to say that I think it's really good that you mentioned that there was an offering of schooling in the um, relocation package just because that might not be something that listeners who might be planning a move abroad or involved in one right now they may not think to ask for that when they're in negotiations with the company but I find a lot of times with with moving abroad packages they're super fluid and it feels really intimidating to ask the right questions and to know what to ask yeah for sure and that's where you know my like I mentioned earlier my husband having the experience working in the global mobility industry paid off huge dividends when we were getting ready for our own relocation because he had the knowledge and the expertise where there might be somebody listening to this podcast and thinking well I'm not really sure like where I can leverage the benefits that are going to be best for my family but absolutely like Think about, depending on, you know, your company and your level within the company and sort of what those relocation packages look like, but consider it and think about what what your goals are for your specific family. You know, I mean, if if learning the local language in the country that you're moving to is absolutely your top priority, then you don't need an international school. You can send your kids to the local school and within six months, they'll probably be fluent. They'll have to be. So it's all about your family goals and just identifying your top priorities for what you want your children to get out of this experience. And now that you're a couple years into this, I've gathered from our conversation that you feel very strong and positively about the experience. What have your kids had to say about it? They really like it here. I think there's a lot of differences to what our old life in the United States looked like versus our life here. So, you know, in the U.S., the homes are bigger. We had two cars. We had a backyard. We had a front yard. We had a neighborhood where the kids could ride bikes down the street. It was that kind of life. And in Barcelona, we live in the center of the city in an apartment, a nice size apartment, I will say, for a family of five, which is good. (laughs) Um, But it is an apartment in a hundred year old building on the fifth floor. So the aesthetics of our life are very different. You know, we don't have a backyard. If the kids want to go outside, we all have to pack ourselves up and we have to take the elevator downstairs and walk, you know, five blocks to the local park which is fine and it's become something we've been become accustomed to, but it's a different way of life here. And there's a lot of things our kids really love. And there's a lot of ways our kids have really thrived 
You know, we have a lot more family time here because it's a priority in Spain. Everything is closed on Sunday. There's no shops and restaurants really open. The Spanish, they get together with their families and they just spend the day together, being outdoors, doing whatever. So that's really forced us to spend a lot of time together, which I think the kids have loved. I do think that the kids have really enjoyed meeting children from other parts of the world. Even though they're young and they can't really conceptualize the globe and how many countries there are out there and all the different, whether it's colors of skin or whether it's cuisines or whether it's dialects, they, they still are trying to wrap their heads around all of that. But when my son comes home from school and starts saying new words in Russian that one of his friends at school who comes from Russia has taught him, that to me is something that I know he's always going to keep with him. He's always going to enjoy and remember and have that connection with our experience here. So it's those types of things that keep the kids really excited about living here. We do a lot of adventures on the weekends. We try to leave the city and travel to the beaches or the mountains. You know, Catalonia is such a gorgeous region of the country of Spain. So we're very blessed to be able to see a lot of the country um, and just get out as much as possible. So those types of adventures and things like that have been incredible to our experience here. But on the flip side, I do think there are things that the kids miss about our life back in the United States, like being able to, you know, things I spoke about earlier, ride bicycles outside, walk into any store or walk up to any child at the playground and be able to speak English and have the other person know exactly what you're saying. You know, I mean, the language thing, of course, it is a hurdle. So it's things like that. You know, even though they're young, they still know how to make comparisons you know, everybody in the U.S. has a big swimming pool in the backyard or, you know, they have a, a big front yard. It's like all these comparisons that when we go home and we go on our family leave trip once a year, the kids do, I think, you know, make some mental notes. And then we come back to our home here in Spain, in Barcelona, in our apartment, and they realize the differences. And so I, that's, you know, that's raised some questions for them. We've had to talk through some things together as a family and tell them, like, you know, we're trading the material things for the experiences here. And we're trading, you know, maybe the size of our home for some of the adventures we're able to go on. So, you know, we try to put it in in perspective like that. But to more directly answer your question, yes, I think they really enjoy living here. I think they've absolutely thrived living in Barcelona. We've had such an incredible experience being our first expat relocation. Sounds absolutely magical. I'm sitting here with chills just hearing about your adventures. It sounds just like such a gift for you guys. It makes me really happy to hear. And it sounds like it's really brought your family pretty close together. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely has. I mean, you know, whether we want to or not, we're spending a ton of time together, you know, sometimes sometimes it's too close for comfort in in the apartment, you know, and we feel like, okay, we could use, you know, some time just to spread out a little bit. But really, all joking aside, I mean, we have had some of the most incredible experiences together. We've done it together. We've tried new foods together. We've, you know, visited new churches together. We've gone on hikes up mountains together. It's all these things that it sounds cheesy to say, but this is the stuff dreams are made of. I mean, this is, you know, I heard somebody once say, like, they started their expat experience and they left the American dream behind to live the dream of their life. And it made me realize that like, you know, the American dream is, and then that'll always be within us. We're Americans. We'll always, you know, want to own our own home and own our own cars and have our own property and put our heart and soul into the things that we, that we own, but we work really hard for it. 
And here it's a little bit like they own less and they do more. They own less property, they own smaller homes, less material things, and they just are filled with experiences, lots of traveling. I mean, I think we've traveled to quite a few places in our lifetime, my husband and I. And when I talk to people from Europe, I feel like such a such a rookie. You know, <laughs> these people have been everywhere. They've been everywhere. Their passports are so impressive. And so that's inspiring to me. I look at that and I go, wow, you know, that's that's a life well lived that you're really pushing yourself to just see more and constantly learn more. And I think until you become an expat, you don't always know that. If you stay in your comfort zone, you're sort of always in this bubble of like, well, that would be nice to do one day or we'll get a chance to do that one time or, you know, you don't ever really think it's going to be a reality. But once you leave where you come from, you it sort of opens your eyes in a different way and you see things with a different perspective and the possibilities, you know. And I don't think we could have had more perfect words to end on. So I'm going to go ahead and transition us into our ending segment, which is called Suck, sure. Suck, Suck. It's a rapid fire question round. So I'm going to ask you three questions that you're going to answer without thinking it, overthinking it. Just go with your gut. Ready? Oh boy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You'll okay. like this first one. What is your favorite beach in New Jersey? Probably Manasquan. Great. What's your favorite month of the year to spend in Barcelona? <gasps> uh, probably May. May is such a beautiful month here. And number three, what is the very best after-school snack to enjoy in your new expat life? Oh, definitely churros. Churros with hot chocolate sauce. The Ooh. best. So delicious. Oh, it sounds so good. Well, thank you so much. You nailed your Zach, Zach, Zach's. We had a great talk. And do you want to let people know where they can go to find more about you and your family's journey? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, um, the name of my blog is called The Expat Chronicle and basically features everything, not just about Barcelona, but our life abroad, the places we've traveled, the lessons we've learned, the mistakes that we've made. <laughs> Hopefully, you know, it'll give anybody that uh, checks it out some hope, some inspiration, and some laughs, because we've certainly had a lot of them here. So yeah, the expatchronicle.net. Perfect. And we will link to that in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity. It's been so much fun. Thanks again to Lauren for coming on the show. Links to her social media and blog are in the show notes, as are links to the Facebook groups that she mentioned helped her when she was planning her move abroad. And keep in mind that even if you're not moving to the same location, there might be similar Facebook groups with similar titles if you just give in your location in the search. You'll also find a link to the International Podcast Day event in the show notes and links to our social media. We are at The Expat Cast on Instagram and Twitter, and you can email us at theexpatcast at gmail.com. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, and don't forget to hit subscribe. Thanks as always go to Amy Lungi Art for the logo and to Gordon Eisenach, my partner in podcasting and in life, as well as to Side Hug for the theme music. You can find them on Instagram at a hug from the side. Next week's episode, we go from talking about moving abroad with young children to moving abroad with teenagers. How in the world does one manage that? Find out next Thursday. Until then, have a great week. Choose. Thank you.